0: Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. And you're listening to Grillin' Jr with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross, Jim,
1: how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. I'm good. Hope you're well as also, and wish everybody a happy new year. You know, we're recording this show on Wednesday in a few hours. I'll be driving over to Daly's place to do, uh, as we record this, as I said, tonight's show on, uh, on, uh, TNT big, uh, Brody league. Celebration of life is the way I'm looking at it. But uh, it's, a, it's been a hell of a week since the last time we talked. But nonetheless, uh, it's, uh, it's been very eye opening in a lot of ways. And certainly, uh, I didn't have any clue, Conrad. Uh, and I'll, I'll admit it, it didn't bother me to admit this. I didn't have any idea that uh, Brody Lee was as popular with his peers as he was. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's overwhelming the outpouring of support and love for this guy who kind of stayed off the radar all those years uh to see uh you know, and then to find out that, you know, he was he was universally loved by talents at every level. So uh we hopefully we'll do do him justice tonight as uh on, on Dynamite. It's an interesting show. It's got lots of cool elements to it. But the bottom line is it's a celebration uh, of Brody's life. And, uh, you know, his little boy, uh, Brody, he's become quite the, uh, the beloved figure back in the locker room area. Everybody loves a little fart. And, uh, he's a, he's just personal as hell. looks a lot like his, his eyes, his dad's eyes and his eyes are the same. He's a, he's a cute little kid. And, and he's, uh, you know, I was with him on Sunday at the Jags game and, you know, we, we hugged and talked and. I made him a deal that when he wrestles for his first title that I would announce a match. (laughs) So, you know, that's just me and you know, I wanted to make him happy. And he thought that was the coolest deal boy. (laughs) So, so apparently his dad had been, had said nice things about, about me, my work or whatever. And the little boy remembered it and, and, uh, thought it was pretty cool. So I'm excited about, uh, what we're going to present tonight. Uh, again, as we record this on Wednesday, what we're going to do tonight, live on TNT and hope the folks that are hearing this on Thursday, as it normally drops, uh, enjoy the show. Cause we sure tried to make it t- to do a uh, justice and honor to a uh, hell of a guy's memory.
0: Yeah. One of the uh, most beloved figures, perhaps we've ever lost in wrestling. I-, I was overwhelmed with the response. We actually talked about this off air, but. You know, when the news came out, it feels like for the next 24 hours, I couldn't log into any form of social media. Every single post was a nice story about Brody. I mean, this is, this was a special guy who meant a lot to a lot of people. And I'm glad that you guys are dedicating tonight's show to his memory. And I'm looking forward to, uh, hearing more about Brody Jr. In the future. And and we appreciate all of you spending these challenging few days here with us, we've, uh, we've been really busy trying to create some extra bonus content for you, uh, either for adfreeshows.com shows.com or thanks to our, our new sponsor Geico. Uh, we hope that we were able to brighten your Christmas a little bit and getting you ready for the new year. And I think we're all ready for 2021 now, aren't we Jim? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I think so. We got, it's gotta, it's gotta be better Conrad and but we have a chance to make it better, how we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves how we're smart about our health, you know, this COVID thing is still the biggest issue of all. And, and, uh, people got just got to take it seriously. You know, my redneck buddies in Oklahoma, you know, some of them don't want to wear, don't want to wear a mask. And I ask, you know, well, why the defiance? Well, it's my right. Okay. You only know you're such a patriot. Did you pay your taxes last year? I did. You know, that kind of shit. Come on. So we got to, Be aware and pay attention to it. I, we do have a chance to make 2021 a better year and, and, uh, and, and move forward in a positive way. So hopefully that'll happen. And, uh, and the world will become a little bit more sane and a little bit more predictable. There's so many unanswered questions about COVID that, uh, all I know is it'll kill you and it doesn't give a damn about your race your gender, your political affiliations, nothing. So, uh, we all got to hang together and work together on that deal. So it should be fun and hopefully we'll have fun today. Uh, you know, I like these Q and a shows because it, it lets you measure what the, your fan base are thinking, what they're interested in hearing about. And that's the best market research that one can get. Quite frankly, is direct going directly to your consumer base. So shall we say, so, uh, it should be a fun show here today.
0: I'm pretty excited about it. it is ask Jr. And if you've got a question for any of our shows, you can ask it over on Twitter. It's at Jr grilling, man. We've got a ton to jump into. Let's get right to it. Joe wants to know what talents from your time in mid-south do you wish you could have worked with on a national promotion, rather it was WCW or the WWF.
1: Oh man. Well, a lot of them got to got there. You know, uh, I wish Dr. Death would have had a, uh, started his run in WWE earlier. When he was not so uh, beaten up and broken down physically, it's hard to imagine a guy like him who this, this week was uh, the 11th anniversary of his death. I remember riding to uh, Denver on a private plane with coach Barry Switzer and a couple of other coaches that, uh, that coached up doc back in the day. And I was one of the guys that gave a eulogy at his funeral. And the sad part about cancer is so many negatives, obviously there's no positives that I could ever think of, but I didn't hardly even recognize him. He'd lost so much weight, probably weighed a buck 80 when you're down a hundred pounds, man, change your appearance, Yeah. but Dr. Death would have been a guy that, that could have had a really good run. Uh, if he had gotten in the game a little bit earlier, I hired doc, uh, to hopefully get that one good run out of him. And unfortunately he got hurt in the brawl for it all. And, uh, it kind of curtailed all those plans. And so he didn't get any second chances because of his age and his physical abilities, or uh, inabilities, whatever it may be. But doc would have been a guy I would like to have seen get a, a more of a break. But a lot of our guys that I enjoyed working with their dog and Duggan, uh, all those cats, they, they got to WWE. So, but doc would probably be the one guy I can think of right off the top of my head that could have been a big time contributor. If he had gotten the game a little bit earlier in, uh, prevents
0: Conrad from Huntsville wants to know, do you have any Danny <laughs> Hodge stories you can share with us?
1: Oh yeah. You know, Hodges, my boyhood hero, man. You know, when you're, he was on TV pretty much every week on championship wrestling, at four o'clock on Saturday afternoons. And, uh, you know, I've told this story before my dad was not a big wrestling fan. Uh, you know, my dad would say there's not a human in the world can let me stand on that second turnbuckle. And hit them in the face cleanly and not bloody their nose or black, their eye or chip their teeth. So he thought the bit, he, the business then he's trying to say that the business exposed, exposed itself. to some degree, uh, but Hodge is a different breed of cat, man. I remember talking to Luthes about Danny, uh, and it didn't start off talking about Danny, but it ended up talking about Danny. When I asked Lou, I said, you know, all those years you were the traveling champion going around the world and everybody wanted a shot at Luthes. Because if you could beat Luthes uh, in an unplanned finish, uh, you, you could quote unquote, make yourself famous. And, uh, and then because you're the champion, you would make a lot of money. And of course, Lou had to protect himself in that regard. So we went over a few guys that he said were, were great shooters. Uh, but I, so I, he didn't, he left off Hodge off the list. And I said, uh, what about Hodge? He's always, oh, that's a different deal. You're talking about average guys, tough guys. Then there's another level that Hodge is in by himself. Wow. There's nobody, nobody like him. So, you know, we did a spot show in my hometown of Westfield, Oklahoma one time. And, you know, back in the old days, you take all the, you take your star, who your headliner was like Hodge in this case, around to meet the merchants in their stores, hopefully they'd come out and buy a ticket and help raise the money for the nonprofit that we were working with. And this guy uh, had a hardware store. And he's a little bit of a little bit of a trick. Uh, so he said to Hodge, "So you're the guy that's supposed to be able to break pliers, huh?" So he reaches under his counter and p- pulls out a box of, of, of pliers of various sizes and strengths. Uh, and he said, "I bet you can't break mine," because the guy thought the, the 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 pliers were gimmicked. Right. And it, Hodge, nobody had the strength to be able to do that. So he pulls out this box, That's it on the counter. Hodge reaches into the box. He starts breaking these pliers like they were pretzel sticks. He probably broke ten pair and a matter seriously, in a matter of sec- less than a minute, he's breaking pliers just bing, bing, bing. And the guy finally grabs the pliers and box and puts them back under the counter and says, I'm gonna send all these flyers back, they must be defective. Oh. So uh it's kind of insulting. And so then uh me being the shit disturber even then says to, well, you, you've always got a, had a unique, uh, meeting today. And I, you know, hope you come to the show tonight. Thank everybody. should shake hands and, and call it a day or something like that. I'm nudging Hodge. He knows what I wanted. Yeah. So he, he shakes hands with this guy. I thought this guy was having a combination of epileptic seizures, uh, a heart attack, uh, he had been stuck with a hot poker or something. He screamed, he moaned, and Hodges just laughing. Hey, hey, I'm just a little guy. I can't hurt your hand. <laughs> so, uh, but he, his strength was unbelievable. Uh, you know, he was, he was my protector by and large. When you a lot of, when you get to the ter- when you get 22 and you're booked as a referee and you're taking another referee who's been there in tenured bookings, uh, it's, it's like the, uh, I compare it to when Moolah's girls have come in. When the women came in, the four women were booked in a tag. Then four guys that were on the roster were left off. Right, and, and if he didn't get booked, he didn't get paid. So there was heat on the women automatically because they took some spots and took some pay away from some other guys that were sitting at home, trying to figure out how they're going to buy groceries that week. And so, uh, you know, uh, that was the same way with me in a lot of ways because I took Jerry Usher's place uh, in some of these bookings. When I was young and cowboy-like me and. You know, he because I could drive, I would drive. I could roll a joint while steering a car with my knees. That was a great trait to have in those days, great skill set. And so, uh, uh, Danny would, was my guardian angel, and 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 he made sure that I wasn't bullied. If I was bullied, it was once. And the worst culprit was Bob Sweetan, Bruce or Bob Sweetan, who was a miserable human being. God bless his soul. Uh, not a good person whatsoever, but that, that big bully thing, but, uh, he, he chilled his stuff when Hodge called him out cause they were booked together and the last thing Bob Sretan, who's a big, tough guy wanted to deal with was an irate Danny Hodge. Nobody wanted to do that. Why well, provoke this monster? So uh, he was my guardian angel in that regard. I drove him a lot of places, you know, I, I knew Danny had a, vociferous sweet tooth Conrad and, uh, he, well, he would, when he wanted a milkshake, it wasn't a matter of, well, let's get it later. or I'll, Let's get on down the road a little farther. or I'll stop to the next town. No, it, that would not work. And so I, uh, got to memorizing where all the places to get a milkshake was on our, on our route when we were driving to Shreveport from Tulsa or, or from Shreveport to Monroe or wherever it may be. So uh, he was just an extraordinary human being. People that don't know about Danny or don't have the motivation to research it on on Google or YouTube uh, are missing out because he was just absolutely amazing. You don't get a, you don't get a guy that's you know gone to two Olympic games, uh wins the National Golden Gloves boxing championship, never lost a match in college and D1 competition in wrestling and was never taken off his feet. Think about that. D one level competition, nobody ever took him down. And the last two years, uh, of his amateur career, he pinned everybody that he fought, including in the national. He wasn't, he wasn't a Greco Roman wrestler. wrestler. He was a collegiate style wrestler that you see on, you know, on TV from time to time, but he, he was just, uh, Oh hell. I don't know. He, he won every tournament, the national freestyle national Greco Roman and some other major tournament, and he not only did he win, win those tournaments in the span of two weeks, which is a lifetime achievement for a lot of wrestlers, uh, he won it all uh, be a pin. So he was in a whole different class than everybody else. And I said many times, and I stick by it, that the good Lord knew what he was doing because he made Dan a good natured, good hearted kind man. If he had been a bully like sweet tan or some of the other guys, uh, he would have been so miserable to be around because. You knew that he could do anything he wanted to do with you physically and nothing you could do about it. Not a damn thing. So, uh, I, I, uh, I have great respect for Danny. He was one of my mentors and you know, he, hearing his passing around the Christmas time was really a shock for me because I just, he just seemed so invincible. You know, he just seemed like he, he, he couldn't couldn't—he—he—he'd be here forever. So somebody asked me about that. And I said, the only person I could. Uh, take Danny Hodge down was a good Lord himself. Nobody else could. And that's kind of what happened. He died of Alzheimer's.
0: You, um, you obviously spent a lot more time with Danny Hodge. I mean, that'd be an understatement, but do you have any, any Brody stories you could share with us? Because you had gotten to know him uh, a little better during the dynamite era. Right?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, here's what I Here's what I, my biggest memory, my biggest takeaway from my, my relationship with Brody. Is that he was so thankful to finally get this opportunity in AEW to mold his own character in his own mindset. And that's one of the great things about our company is that, you know, Tony Khan listens to everybody's ideas. And if you're a talent and you got an idea of how to get yourself over or how you best be presented on a TV persona, uh, uh, aspect, uh, then you go for it. And I think that his, his overall, he was just so relieved that finally he was getting a chance to explore his own creativity. He could share, uh, kind of for lack of a better term, steer his own ship. And that's what I found to be extremely, uh, positive about him. He wasn't bitter about the past. He was more focused on looking forward to the future. And, uh, you know, I know that every, I don't think we ever had a conversation. Uh, that he didn't talk about his family right, in glowing terms. Uh, the most, the most, uh, uh, prominent family man, I think I may have ever met in wrestling. So he was, a, he had so many good traits, but, uh, and he loved bruiser Brody. That was his, that was his role model. <clears throat> Pardon me. So we told stories about that because I knew Brody when he started his career in the early seventies, but he and Stan Hansen were a tag team. And of course, falls back to a story about Hodge, Hodge and Jay Clayton. Jay Clayton was a friend of Cowboys, and uh, so he was getting some bookings. So on TV, they booked this upcoming big rugged heel team of, of Brody and Hanson. And I remember Brody uh, asking Cowboy, he said, "How much do you want us to sell for for these two guys? They're both small." I'm not so sure people are going to believe believe it believe that we're being challenged because of our size difference. And so, Cowboys wheels now are turning, and he saw oh, this. Well, didn't work your match. It, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wild west here in mid south. If you want to guy to sell, then you need to create an atmosphere that would cr- would make him motivate him to sell. And course, so, of course, then Cowboy goes to Hodge before the match. Relays the story, I'm sure he em- embellished it. And so Hodge, uh, proceeded to stretch Brody a little bit and did anything he wanted to with him until he knew just where to go to let up and make a tag or something because the two big young heels are getting over or going to go over and being pushed. So they were going to beat Jay Clayton, but along the journey to beating Jay Clayton to get their TV win, uh, Hodge imposed his will just to let them know that he might not be as big as them, but you don't need to, don't disrespect me. So that was the, the only time Danny ever got, his, got pissed off was when he was provoked, he never went out of his way, looking for any trouble. And, uh, I kind of see the same thing in Brody. You can't be this popular. If you got a reputation for not being a good person, right? And so he was, he, he was, he certainly a good, good, person. And, and, uh, I love being around him. his positivity. Positivity was great. But finally, the great thing about it for me again was, he's forty years old, and he uh, was starting over, so to speak. Right. And excited about that. You know, the match he had with Cody that dog collar match was was, was a hell of a match. One of our oh, best yeah. matches we've ever had on the show. Outstanding. Yeah. So all all good all good vibes with him. Always smiling, funny guy, good great sense of humor. That's why I said, you know, I'm going to work today and I'll tell these young guys, Hey, look, it doesn't hurt to laugh. As I said, laughter is good medicine. And, and he made you laugh, didn't he? Oh yeah. Remember those times. That's a whole hell a lot better than, than him. You know, not being able to kick out of his, of his issues. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I still don't know what I, I haven't seen or heard of an autopsy. I don't know. You know, all I know is he had double lung failure. And his lungs are so bad that he couldn't, he didn't qualify for a transplant. So as I heard the story, whether it's totally accurate or not, I don't know that, uh, that he took him off his machines to see if he could kick out himself. Cause that's about the only chance he had. And it, it just obviously didn't work. So, uh, sad, sad time for all of us. And again, if he, he impacted so many on our roster that kind of went off the radar. And so, uh, he'll be very missed and I hope that, like I said, hope tonight's show and folks that saw it on Wednesday, uh, enjoyed what we tried to do in his honor,
0: I'll be watching for sure. Uh, Luke from Eastern Iowa wants to know if you were on death row, what would your final meal request be?
1: Hmm. It would be a lot (laughs) pitch to you win. As they say at buffets, pitch to you when eat to your full. Um, I don't know, Conrad. It, it, I, it might be a really good steak. I, I'm a potato guy, so potatoes in some shape, form, or fashion, baked, all gratin. Probably my favorite kind of potatoes are fried potatoes with onions, because uh, it reminds me of my mama, and it's made our house smell good. I thought so. Probably steak of some kind. Uh, if I had access to it, my mother, my grandma's, uh, 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 cornbread dressing would be a, would probably be featured, but basic stuff, stuff that I grew up on stuff, I grew up loving, uh, that you can't just get replicated by walking into your nearest diner, stuff like that. Probably, you know, my kind of a hodgepodge, but steak, potatoes, dressing. Uh, maybe some sauteed spinach. I kind of of that too. And I'm sure they would not give me any alcohol to drink. So I'll just put myself to a food coma before I took the last, uh, the last steps in that green mile. <laughs>
0: Rajiv wants to know what's the most rewarding experience you've had in your time in the wrestling business. Hey guys, are you looking for a great father's day gift idea? I know I was, and I found it a couple of years ago with paint your life. With paint your life you get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget and it's a great gift idea for your mom your dad or both you see paint your life transforms your photos into a -a one-of-a-kind beautiful hand-painted portrait done by professional artists you can upload a photo to create anything you can imagine maybe in a special location or a favorite pet there's lots of options you pick the artist the medium and you even get to work with the artist to make sure it's perfect You get started in less than five minutes and you can get the portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com and there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text Ross to 87204 Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See slash terms for details.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. price Priceline. Oh man. That's another good one. It covers a lot of ground. I would say, uh, uh, because I can still see her sitting in the crowd in Detroit. Uh, my induction into the WWE hall of fame in 2007. Uh, cause I was inducted by stone cold and we went on first. The audience is fresh. We we're like that first match on the pay-per-view. The audience is fresh They're ready. You got them from the get go. Of course you had stone cold doing the stuff. And I remember before that induction, one, one of the writers or somebody producer, one of the do they call them? uh, seriously, I don't know what the terms are, they change, but one of the writers said, you know, uh, I, I need to look at your speech. Or Vince wants me to look at your speech, something like that. And Stephen not written anything down, total ad lib, total ad lib. And it was fantastic. So I think because I could still in my mind right now, I can close my eyes and see Jan sitting in the crowd, smiling from ear to ear with a bunch of my Oklahoma buddies who had flown up to Detroit, uh, and, in, in, uh, to go to WrestleMania and the hall of fame. Probably was one of the more significant moments because uh, it wasn't an easy ascent for me. It wasn't an easy get to that level uh, for my run in WWE. It was a challenge. And maybe it was supposed to be a challenge. You know, I, people read Under the Black Hat and they see, you know, JR had some, per, you know, challenging times. But, you know, I think it made me a better man. It, it might not work for everybody. And if you read the book, and you say I don't know how you did it. Well, then obviously that style would not have worked for you, but you know, uh, Vince was a hard ass guy, but he, he paled in comparison to the hard ass guy that raised me. So I was ready. Uh, I, I was ready for the alpha males of my, that were coming into my life. So I think that even though it was challenging, uh, I, it made me a better guy, I, t- I learned a lot. Uh, so I think that's kind of where I'd land on that deal. But the hall of fame was a real, it it, it wasn't just the ring. It was Steve being involved. It was the crowd being real receptive. It was people crying. It was emotional and it kind of overwhelmed me. I look back on it. I wish I had gone shorter on my speech. Uh, but I, you know, can't change that. But we were a hard act to follow old stone cold and Jr there thanks to him. So I think the hall of fame, Conrad. Because there's so many great matches, you know the 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 WrestleMania matches, you know Brett and Steve and Rock and Hogan and all these things. You know there's so many great matches. The first TLC on the paper on a at WrestleMania, so many great things. But I think the Hall of Fame probably would be the the kind of the shining star in all of that.
0: You talked about your book. Joseph Feeney wants to know: Do you have any plans to write a third book? I think your second book is on the Mount Rushmore of all time, great wrestling books with Foley Jericho and Brett. Uh,
1: well, it's ironically, uh, Simon and Schuster and their various uh, ancillary, uh, uh, branches are pushing for another book. Paul O'Brien, my writing partner is certainly interested in doing more work. And so I've kind of left it this way, if we can all come up with a, uh, if we can all come up with a, you know, a, a, a theme, what would this third book be about? Right. Well, it could be about AEW or it could be about, it could be about a lot of things. Right. Uh, so I, th- there's, there's a discussion about doing another book in 2021. We haven't finalized those discussions because I have yet to be presented something that, uh, that intrigues me enough to want to invest totally back into writing another book. So, but if we come up with the right ideas, absolutely. I enjoy it. It's cathartic to me. I I like doing it and I like working with Paul O'Brien. He, he just recently had a, after he shows, uh. Uh, gig on your, on, on, on your network.
0: Yeah. Talking about your, your new book under the black hat.
1: Yeah. And, uh, what a nice man and so talented. He's way above my level, but it's good. It's good for me. But so we're we're talking about it, but casually, but it may happen in uh, 2021. It just depends on getting all the ducks in line and, uh, and finding a topic or a theme of the book that we believe would be sellable and marketable. I've often thought about, I often wish that I was a cartoonist because all these cl- cliches, you know, you run like a scalded dog and, you know, restaurant quality, this and slobber knockers and all these things that uh, seem to be lingering and sticking around over time it would be funny to, uh, to illustrate with a cartoon and a little story along with it, how that's how that cliche came about. Right. And so something like that maybe, but you know, but. I don't know. I, I'm not going to, uh, it just, we're so green and so new in the, in the AEW world, Connie, that it, I need a little bit more time there to c- create enough content to, to, to add to a book. Right. You know, we want you know, or maybe it's the book is the first AEW's first year or something, hell, I don't know. So again, there's a lot of ideas, a lot of good ideas. We'll see what's, what sticks to the wall, but it is in casual discussion.
0: Mayhem wants to know what was it like at the announce desk with Vince in your ear? What types of things was he saying? Did you find it took away from your style and flow having to adjust to Vince in your ear? Of course it
1: did. Of course it did. How could it not? Uh, you know, he Vince would tell you what to say, and and sometimes it would be ill timed. Sometimes it'd be round the money, but uh, it, it's just general stuff, you know. Uh, normally it was critiquing on the air live. You can't say that Jr. God damn it. You know, okay. Uh, so it was very disconcerting. Producing announced talent is a art form, unless you're the owner of the company, then you can do whatever you want, say whatever you want. Don't worry about the, the morale of your talent. And it was rough. It was very challenging, very daunting. You know, sometimes Vince would say, you know, hey, Lawler's had a bad night, JR. God damn it. You got to get him out of it. So it it came to be my fault that Lawler was having a bad night in Vince's perspective. Right. To be honest with you, I don't remember Lawler having too many bad nights, to be honest with you. So, you know, but he just, I was, I was a guy he vented to. And, you know, a lot of my peers, Mick Foley, Taz, uh, uh, Todd Grisham. They, it didn't work for them. And I can understand why it shouldn't work for them. Be produced during the commercial breaks or be, Don't be produced on live air. Uh, don't be critiqued, make suggestions. And the best producers are guys that come in with a soundbite and, uh, you know, give you that one idea, you know, put this over simple or, you know, continue to you know, build him up, JR, build him up. Top deal. Okay. That's good. I can do that, but it was just hard Conrad to have somebody in your ear while you're on the air live and you're talking. So now you hear the ambient noise of the crowd. You hear yourself, you hear Lawler and you hear Vince. And so it was, it, it was very hard to keep the rudder in the water sometimes. But again, at the end of the day. It may have made me a lot better broadcaster. I'm not sure it didn't kill me. I didn't like it, but I did it didn't kill me.
0: Let's, uh, let's do another question here. Uh, this one is from Michael. He says, I'm curious. Was there ever a point that Jr wanted to be the radio voice of the Sooners? and was he ever offered the job? Would he have taken it?
1: Uh, I, that, that was, that was discussed at one time, casually. And, uh, what they wanted was a young guy that could do football, basketball, and baseball in full transparency, Conrad. I didn't want to work that hard. I, I would, I would have loved, still would love to do OU football in this very day, uh, there as again, we, as we recorded this on Wednesday morning, they're playing tonight against Florida in a cotton bowl and, and the OU play by play guy is, uh, has COVID issues and can't work. Name's Toby Roland is a good job. Good young, good young broadcaster, friend of mine, but yeah, I used to dream of having that job when I was, since I was a kid, cause back in those days, you know, the access to the team was through radio by and large. So they're on TV. Oklahoma, in that era when I was young was on TV, like twice a year, they, Texas and Nebraska. And so, uh, yeah, I would have loved to have that, that job and it wasn't for the pay. I, I probably, I think I even, when we talked about this, I said, I'll just donate whatever I'm going to get paid to the, to the sooner club. I, I wasn't looking at it for a payday. I was looking at it for the, the honor of being able to represent my school, uh, on, in this, uh, gridiron presentation. So we talked about it, but casually I couldn't do with my other schedule wrestling, there's just no way I could have commit fully committed to doing all the things they wanted that one hire to do. So, uh. Yeah, that was, it was a kind of a dream deal. It was, if I had another, if I had a dream job in my mind's eye, it would have been broadcasting Oklahoma football. Uh, I would have loved it and and still would like to do it. But you know, my friend's got that gig and he does a phenomenal job. He's young, uh, very talented and, uh, Oh done fine there. So it's not something I'm actively seeking at this age of my life, but it certainly was something that was on big time on my radar. From the time I was a little guy, uh, until hell today. So it just didn't work out that way.
0: Joseph wants to know Bruce tells a story of how you walked in on a mid-south booking meeting after cowboy had sold the UWF to Crockett. Do you have any recollection of that meeting?
1: That's kind of general. I don't, uh, I walked in on a mid-south booking meeting. I don't know. I mean, I was in a lot of those booking meetings, right? Like all of them, but maybe, uh, and I, I got some heat from some of the boys because of selling the company. Uh, but that was, you know, they need to look at the cowboy. I didn't sell the, I didn't sell it. It wasn't a hostile takeover. He wanted to sell it. And, uh, the plan that we, we, we pitched to, I pitched to Jimmy Crockett and, and Rob Garner was in that meeting. Was that, you know, you have your, you have two leagues and you don't, you can keep talent fresher because you got a deeper roster of, 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 really good guys and you got some guys uh, on watches roster that, uh, could potentially potentially be big time players like sting, for example, Steiner brothers. Uh, so and, and others but those pop in my head. I don't remember that, uh, specific instance, Conrad about, uh, what Bruce was talking about and what context was he discussing it? Do you remember?
0: I don't really, I think it was, uh, that's, I believe that meeting is when Bruce was like already flirting with the idea of leaving Bosch and going to work for Vince, because that timeline is pretty similar. If you remember on the heels of WrestleMania three, Bosch was showing, um, replays of the Ricky steamboat, macho man match on his TV. And, uh, they were trying to transition, you know, maybe some sort of transfer of power between Bosch and and Vince. And of course, Bruce was looking for a, a nice place to land. Sure. And I think it's pretty interesting that there's another Texas territory looking to do a deal at the same time. And it's Watts to Crockett. So it's weird how those are sort of running parallel. Uh, Matt wants to know what was your favorite episode of The Sopranos, and who were some of your favorite characters? One,
1: well, you know, I'm a, a big uh, fan of The Sopranos. I watched every episode twice, or maybe more. Uh, this brilliant David Chase is—he got it. He had it. He had it right at it. Right concept. He he cast well. It was just one of the my favorite TV show series. Uh, I'm thinking maybe the Pine Barrens episode was one that always sticks out. There's a lot of them that stick out, but the Pine Barrens one was just absolutely, uh, massively entertaining to me. It it showed that the the gangsters and the mobsters had, you know, it was like, they, they could be funny. They could be entertaining. And, uh, Paulie Walnuts and Chrissy, uh, chasing that rushing dude, uh, through the snow. And, and, uh, I just thought it was hilarious. And then Bobby Bacala and, and dressing that hunting outfit, uh, was hilarious. With all of his hunting gear on we saw James Gandolfini, Tony Soprano have a sense of humor as well. So I'd say that pine barrens episode was one of my favorites. Uh, character wise, you know, there, there were only, there weren't many characters that I didn't like, you know, I. The guys that you're supposed to dislike, like Ralph Cifaretti or yeah. whatever his name was, uh, and then uh, Richie Aprio, I hated those guys. They were great heels. They made me believe they were pricks. They suspended my disbelief, and I fell right in line with the uh, with storyline. So it's so well written, you know. It was just it was a shame when it ended. Uh, to me, I, I could have watched another ten years of it. So, uh, I, I, I think the Pine Barrens would be my favorite episode, but you know, uh, Tony Soprano was obviously the star of the show and the key character, but his, you know, his, his wife, uh, uh Carmela did a, was a hell of a character, uh, so anyway, it's all good stuff, man. It's uh it was a fun show to watch. I still watch it occasionally. Me too. So, you know, I, I, because here's the thing about those those, those shows that are heavy in dialogue is because is you, you always miss something. The first go around, you're either reacting to what you just heard. You're laughing, you're gasping, whatever it may be. But sometimes you miss, uh, uh, additional parts of dialogue. So by going back and watching some episodes, again, you catch back up. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know they said that. I didn't see the the look on his face when he did this, whatever I should have known type deal. Uh, and that's why I think I like Yellowstone so much. It's got layers of stories. It's got compelling characters with, uh, uh, believable and plot and a plausible storylines, uh, storyline and storylines for that matter. So, So that's my new favorite. Uh, it's amazing. So anyhow, I'm, uh, I'm, uh. I'm a big fan of that show and there's just nothing that replaces replace. I love Deadwood. My friend Earl Brown played Dan Doherty, the heavy, the bodyguard, the heavy for Al Swearingen, but, uh, and and I love that show too. I watched, I got that all on my iPad and downloaded. So I watch those sometimes. I don't travel as much as I used to. Of course, with the COVID thing, not flying at this point in time. So, uh, Deadwood was my closest thing to replace the Sopranos that I've found until Yellowstone. And if you're not watching Yellowstone folks, I'm not, I don't recommend a lot of TV shows because all of our tastes are different. This is a hell of a show. So well laid out, you know, it's like Kevin Costner plays the Tony Soprano role, the, the patriarch of this massive, uh, ranch that's being trying to be marauded by the government and. Indian reservations, and oh, it's just a really cool story, and the characters are compelling. They're, they're they're allowed to develop. So when you're getting into watching a show with an ensemble cast, you got to be patient for two or three episodes so you can kind of learn who people are. I remember when Lawler was here at my place uh, for the Cleveland Browns game. We sat on my couch and watched. Uh, I don't know how many episodes of Yellowstone. Ten maybe, because <laughs> he had already seen all of them, and I hadn't seen any of them. So of course, there you get our, Now here, watch this. Watch this. And shut up. Just shut up, Jerry. God damn it. You're, you're killing it for me. <laughs> so, I love Yellowstone. I highly recommend anybody to watch it. And I think the first three seasons are out now on, on demand, so it's easy to access.
0: Uh, Jason wants to know. Boy, this is going to get some people talking. One of your releases from WWE came after a panel for a video game. I believe rumor was that you were supposed to handle Flair better because he was out of it. You were released and he got a statue. Why'd you take all the weight on that?
1: (laughs) Oh, he deserves a hundred statues. What the hell? Well, you know, that was, uh, that was a bad decisions on my part. I had a couple of drinks, but I wasn't drunk. That was a story. That was, that was a lie that was cover your ass shit. Uh, and w- when I got to the, the shoot that I was the host moderator, whatever, uh, and I went to the quote unquote green room, the, the liquor was flowing like water. And I think, oh, well, this is going to be interesting. So a lot of the guys that did drink had drank too much. Nate and I, I guess, were considered two of those guys. But are you kidding me? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna set the arguably the greatest wrestler ever over an announcer? Shit! <laughs> and I wouldn't have done it either. But yeah, that was controversial. Uh, and I, 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 think I got, uh, I think I got taken off the team at that point. But it was poorly organized, and I, and I made bad decisions. So let's just get that out of the way. I, I made some bad decisions. I don't mind taking responsibility for screw ups or human, but I got learn. You got to learn from those screw ups and to move forward. And I, I think I did that, but it was, uh, it was kind of funny how that worked out. It was an interesting question. Jr. gets canned and Claire gets a statue. The,
0: the, <laughs> the phrasing tickled me. My goodness. Yeah. Um, here's an interesting on that. We, you and I have never discussed from Kevin. Should Scott Hall have been a world champion? Had it not been for his personal demons, he was the prototype of everything you'd look for, including on the mic.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's Scott's personal demons—the only negative on his on his checklist. Yeah, he had a great mind, still does. Uh, very astute as as in uh, in the imaginations of producing and 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 uh, in, in, in joining a wrestling character, angle, or storyline. Uh, but, and he could work very well he was big, he could work with any talents. He could be a big heel or he could be a big, uh, baby face. So, but absolutely. The only thing that helped Scott back was reliability. You know, he was, he was such a prisoner to the drugs and the, and the booze that he had a hard time, uh, getting past that element that became his identity at certain points of his career which is totally unfortunate because he was a, a hell of a hand in the ring, really good, and he had a great mind. I'm surprised that, uh, and of course, this may be part of his own, his, his decision, I'm surprised somebody hasn't nabbed him up and, and got storylines or in a creative capacity, cause I think he's that good. So I, it's a good question, but I, I, yeah, I, I would have said it wouldn't surprise me under better circumstances. That Scott was a, was a, was a chick was a world champion. He had the, he had the skills. He had the look, he had the aptitude. He just had those little demons, uh, nipping at his heels. that didn't seem seemingly didn't ever go away. And they, I haven't heard from Scott in a while, but that's sometimes good, no news is good news. Kevin
0: Huntsberger writes, and this is a great question to ask Bruce. And I was fascinated with his answer. If Vince McMahon had bought the UWF in '87 instead of Crockett, how do you think he would have ta- handled talents like Sting, Doctor Death, and yourself?
1: Well, I think he would have saw that you know cream always rises to the top. He'd have found a place for everybody, but th- there would have been no two brands. he he just migrated. I think he would have migrated the talent into his roster, and the guys he felt like could draw or or become stars is who would have got pushed. A lot of guys would have been out of work, uh, you know, but the, his versus WWE roster, WWF roster at the time, perhaps would have been, uh, enlarged quite frankly, what did Bruce say? He was
0: most fascinated, not with the idea of sting, perhaps being in the ultimate warrior spot, or maybe Dr. Death being like a big boss man type character who could feud with Hogan and then be his pal. He was most interested in perhaps what Eddie Gilbert could have done creatively with Vince, which I thought was an interesting answer. Mm-hmm.
1: Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about... How to think, Paula? While certainly you can
0: mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on thirty thousand dollars a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super
1: tight. It was a hundred percent. You need to make more money, make smarter choices, and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen. Yeah. Well, Vince got new, it'd be new toys. Right. That was kind of the mindset with uh, when on the invasion thing. You know, that was so mishandled, but if it had been followed through more objectively and with a better thought out plan, could have made a whole lot more money for the company than it did. But sometimes impatience and politics, uh, or or can be a, can be a detriment. But look, McMahon has, has always had a hell of an eye for talent and he would have found gold in some of these cats. He he had cultivated and mined that gold, and a guy like Sting would have been. Matt, he, he's right down WWE's alley. And that early on, young Sting, athletic, vibrant, enthusiastic, looked great. Wonderful personality, connects with everybody. Sting would have been a huge star there for sure. I think Doc would have had a good run as a heel. Young and athletic, like I said earlier. You know, we just I hired Doc too late. And you know, I don't regret it. We wanted to get one run out of him as a heel. And uh we thought that would be fresh blood it was a good thing. It's the same concept when I hired Mick Foley to to bring him in to work with uh, Undertaker. When you got a seven foot baby face, you gotta have big heels that could put that seven foot baby face in some some level of jeopardy. And we thought Mick could do that. He did, and and more. But doc would have been a doc would have been a very viable heel, no doubt about that, and would have been a real, uh, threat to, uh, to Hogan or anybody else in, the, in that realm. I can only imagine how good the matches would have been between Bret Hart and Dr. Death, uh, if the time timing would, and the stars would align, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but, but doc, all doc needed was a manager. He needed the manager from day one. Because the speaking was not his forte. Uh, he was he's fun to be around off camera. I love the guy, I still love him. But you know, he needed a cornet or a Heyman, you know, uh, being his manager. And I think Vince because of his history with managers and using managers to promote uh, especially promote Heels, uh, he would have found a manager for for Doc that would have been uh, complimenting, maybe a Heenan. You know, there's a lot of ways to go back in time and look at those issues. But I think that this, the cream would have, that that would rise to the top. Vince would have recognized it and there would have been some really cool new matches and that's what any promoter is always looking for. What's new that I can present to the fan base. That's going to be productive and entertaining.
0: Matt wants to know what's JR's favorite Christmas gift he's ever received.
1: Oh, wow. Well, generally I would say something for my children, you know, uh, this, for example, this Christmas, my youngest daughter got me an ashtray. That's a replica of the OU football stadium in 1955. That's badass. Yeah. I'm kind of digging that. And, uh, uh, quite frankly, simple things, pictures of my children, my grandchildren, you know, together. Those are I value those. It's more than uh, my oh that Xbox I got, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, it's not that. It's, it's personal things for my kids, you know, uh, pictures like that. Doctor, I said the ashtray. I told my kids at Christmas this year. I, they said because uh, they said well, you're hard to buy for, Dad, and I and I probably am because uh, I'm downsizing. I don't want to, you know, I don't need. I didn't even put up a Christmas tree this year, unfortunately. I'm by myself, so what the hell? I didn't need a tree. Right. So uh I don't know. I think uh I said to them I wanted two things. I want a I wanted oversized Oklahoma coffee mug, which I'm drinking coffee out of right now, and uh I wanted an OU hoodie. And, and of course that was before the decision that Oklahoma's gonna play uh Florida, which is just down the road from where I live now. And so I enjoy wearing my OU hoodie and my OU swag around town. When I go out to the grocery store or whatever. Now I'm starting to get different kind of looks because it's that Florida's so big here, I mean, gosh, almighty, they're, they're like, OU and Norman Alabama and Birmingham or Tuscaloosa. It's just a way of life. So, uh, but stuff for my children, I, I value those pictures. Again, things like that are always kind of cool.
0: Let's do a question here from Ben. Did you enjoy your time as an announcer in Smoky mountain? And what did you think of Jim Cornette and his organization?
1: Yeah, I had fun there. You know, I, i had kind of been off the grid for a while and, uh, you know, Vince wanted me to help Cornette and that was the idea. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, Corny was a old friend, We've been around each other for a long time and you know, we knew. Vince is smart in the sense that, you know, there's going to be talents that we're going to be exposed to that we can, we might be able to utilize. And the most prominent one that came out of Smoky Mountain was, was, was Kane. You know, Glenn Jacobs was a Unabomber. And when you run across a six-nine, three 300 pound guy that's athletic, that has his intellect and intelligence and character, you can't pass that up. And so I got to, uh, a Glenn, a tryout in WWE, I think he came to like Augusta or a Georgia town. And, uh, everybody was, you know, he looked phenomenal and such a well-spoken, humble man that, uh, it paid off for us. But I joined the, you know, the cornets version of wrestling was the closest thing that I have experienced, uh, to bill Watts. And so that was what I was used to. That's what I grew up on, cut my teeth on so to speak. So it was a, it was a throwback to, uh, a different era and you know, the corny was so emotionally invested in everything that went on there, every minute, every segment, every talent, every finish, everything. So I was happy to help him. And, uh, you know, I just, there was no money, but sometimes you do things. It didn't have to be just for the money. You know, it made me feel good to be able to help an old friend. And it made me feel good to get back in the saddle and, and do some wrestling. And I got to work with Les Thatcher, uh, who I enjoyed working with, you know, uh, I think I took Bob Cottle's place cause the travel was kind of a little brutal to Bob and of course, these TV tapings are done in some very out of the way places, very bare bones, but I enjoyed it. I, I had a good, I had a good experience working for Cornette. He was, you know, he wasn't in my ear. He wasn't. You know, we'd go over the show then he just do, go do your thing. So I, I liked that. I liked it a lot. So, uh, it just wasn't long enough for, cause I was having fun.
0: Uh, Ben wants to know what are your favorite memories of working with macho man, Randy Savage?
1: There are not many. Uh, honestly, he, we were, I don't know what the deal was. I think it might've been me and I was trying to take the blame. But he trusted nobody to any degree. Right. And I was an outsider and, uh, there was a short time there after I first got there that things were okay, but you know, he, uh, he was just so hard to communicate with, pardon me. He was amazingly talented as we all know. I never, ever, ever said anything about his work. Or his work ethic or his skill set or anything. He was phenomenal. He just trusted nobody. And I think you can look back at his how his relationship with Elizabeth was and her being sequestered into a, a, a dressing room at TVs and <clears throat> with the door locked, et cetera, et cetera. Uh kind of speaks to that whole paranoia thing. But he wasn't pleasant for me to be around, but it had nothing to do with his in ring work whatsoever. He just he just didn't trust people. And he thought I, maybe you thought I had an agenda or some sort. Hell, I don't know.
0: Hey, let's talk about, this is a weird question, but did you ever see Elizabeth locked in one of those rooms? <coughs> I wonder how much of that is just repeated and how much of that is, no, that was real Connie. I saw it.
1: I did not see it Conrad because I was never there right. at the same time. I, I you know, just I feel like met it a, gets- list of a couple of times in my entire career. Once was, uh, uh, pastor and Randy in the Atlanta airport, I think it was. So uh, I, I never saw this. I just heard other guys talk about it right. that were there. And, uh, you know, it's just how it was. You know, one time, uh, Savage, uh, uh, approached me at, at TV. Von Singer and I were doing voiceovers. And he was pissed off because I booked him on a an interview segment. When you had the syndicated shows and you had a you're in a market that you weren't running a live event, you still had that interview time you had to book and and fill and produce. And so because he was the biggest star that wasn't on the cards and was such a great talker that I booked him on some of those interview things, uh, and he got pissed off because he, you know he said, "Well, there's." You know, I I shouldn't be doing these. And that was his opinion. He said, you're trying to bury me. I said, no, I'm trying to get you more exposure. You've been dormant. You're, you know, I'm trying to get you back in these, back in the, and he didn't want to be back in the, in the, in the game at that point. And so he was pissed off and, you know, threatening, you know, you know, I don't, you, you're trying to take money off my table. All All this crazy shit. And then Monsoon intervened. And Monsoon uh, straightened that whole matter out very quickly. Cause you know, gorilla explained it in, in Russell speak to Randy and Randy acquiesced that maybe he was barking up the wrong tree. Cause Monsoon explained to him, Hey, this is helping you, Randy. If you don't get it, don't let, you know, make any sense. So anyway, uh, it is trust, uh, it, for him, a lack of trust, he and I I, I, I didn't not trust him. He just didn't like being around me. Right. And I can understand that. Hell. Sometimes I don't like being around me either.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Here's a fun one for you. Uh, skull wants to know why didn't Techno team 2000 ever get off the ground. They had a good look. Let me refresh your memory here.
1: They didn't have the charisma to connect to the audience. They were a pure gimmick team and both those kids are good athletes. But, uh, you know, it was that rush to find something that was hip and topical and timely and all that techno team. And, uh, I don't know even what that meant. It was, it was just there. So the kids worked hard, but they didn't click. They didn't have together. They didn't have the chemistry that, uh, was necessary to connect to the audience. They just never, uh. They didn't resonate to the audience very well, and I don't know if that was how we presented them, how they how they followed through, how they presented themselves. It just didn't work. And sometimes it's that way. And it's never in a really shouldn't be an indictment on the talent. It's just sometimes things don't work. It's a creative process. Every song that uh, your favorite band has ever sung is not their. They can't be their number one hit. Right. Some songs are better than others. So, and that's kind of what I looked at here. The creative process is very fickle and they, they just did not click. And we we thought they had some potential, obviously, or we wouldn't put them on TV and had a gimmick and all that stuff. They just didn't feel natural together. It felt, it felt a little bit forced to me. And, uh, you know, of course, Eric Watts was in that group and I've known him since he was a little kid. So I was really pulling for him but it just, it just never got off the ground because they, they didn't have the, the chemistry together to embrace the audience, uh, and, and quote, unquote, create that emotional investment that you want. So that's, that's why I look at that deal. Just a decent idea, but it just didn't click.
0: Here's another one. And this comes off of a Ryback tweet. You may have seen that you may have not, but school wants to know. A lot has been speculated on VKM's health and appearance lately. Any concerns on your end or is Vince just getting
1: older? Well, he's not a spring chicken like the rest of us, uh, in that, in that uh, generation, we all have to face up the fact that, you know, we're mortal and aging affects people differently. You know, the thing about Vince at his age, you know, he's still working like he was 25 years old. Yeah, He doesn't stop. And you know, and if if he, he only, he only works in days ending in Y, and he has no time, no time limits. There's no, there's no requirements where I've got to get this done between nine and five, but so you wonder sometimes the, the, how intense he is and as busy as he is and the responsibilities that he has running a massive publicly traded company. If it's going to be, if it's getting to be too much, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm a lot more concerned about his health than him being able to run the company. And, uh, but he will run the company until they bury him. Uh, there'll never be a sellout or I don't think he'll ever sell the company. I don't think that he'll ever, uh, slow down to any large degree. That's just not in his makeup. And if he did, he would not be happy. And I fully believe that, uh, people should all strive to find their happy spot their happy place, if you will. And his happy place is working. It's always been that way. So uh and I think that's one of the things that made him so the company so successful. Vince's unrelenting work ethic. Nobody in WWE has ever worked as hard as the owner. Right. Nobody. And it wasn't one of those deals where, you know, I've known all these latest promoters over the years, so they started making some good money and then they delegate. They spend more time hunting or fishing or golfing or whatever. And he has no hobbies. He goes to the gym and he works. That's it. He doesn't play golf. He doesn't, you know. I used to kid him about being a uh what those guys call that do that hit those on they're on horseback and they hit the little ball with their with their oh, mallet. Po- polo. Polo, yeah. I used to bullshit about that all the time. So you could be a you could be a big star in polo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rich man's game. Uh but yeah, I think I, I the only thing, the only thing I'm concerned about is Vince's health, and I only wish it the best. Uh, He helped me a lot along the way, no doubt. But the, you wonder sometimes if this, it sometimes, are you doing what needs to be done? Or are you doing what you are? Comp- you're, you're forcing yourself to do, and so it's almost like an obsession with him to work. And you know, you look, you do a great show with Bruce, and Bruce is right there. At the hip joint at the hip of vets and, uh, which is I'm not knocking whatsoever, but you know, Bruce can would say the same thing. He's unrelenting. He, he never stops. And sometimes I know for my own myself, I, I I'm leery of slowing down to any large degree, I don't want to take myself out of the game and I want to keep my energy and my focus and my love of the business. And, uh, so sometimes maybe I'm a little bit obsessed as well at this stage of life, still wanting to work, but so I can relate to what he's doing. He built that company. And so he doesn't want to see the company do anything, but great things. And, 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 and then the, the error error could be that he believes he's the only guy that can make that happen.
0: Right. Let's, uh, let's do, let's switch gears here because this is going to get people talking, and it's not really a, a wrong or right answer. It's just your opinion. Joe wants to know, in your opinion, who is the most influential wrestling family of all time and why? He lists some examples. Is it the Hart family? Is it the Samoan family? Is it the Von Erics? Is it the Funks? I think you could go on and on.
1: Of course you could. Or is it the McMahons? Oh, well, there's that. Yeah, there's that all right. Uh, I mean, look, what Vince did with WWF, WWF, and all the evolutions, national expansion, global expansion, uh, it's hard to not rank the McMahons as the top family. Right now, if you're just talking about talents, you know, uh, you got, you can make a case for all those names you mentioned, certainly the heart, certainly the funks, certainly the briscoes. Uh, you know, everybody's got a. There's some really amazing talent amazing families, uh, Conrad. But if you look at the, what, what family had the most impact on wrestling? Uh, it might be in my, for my vote would probably be the McMahon's because they changed the business. They, they elevated pay. Uh, and, and of course people are going to say, well, you can't always look at the, a, a McMahon glass as half empty, you know, and, and sometimes Vince is, uh, I think his run as Mr. McMahon in the attitude era have convinced people that he's a total heel. Right. And so I, I think that's, uh, erroneous. So I, I would go and not try I'm trying to lobby for a job. <laughs> I got a good job and I got more time on my contract. I'm just not, uh, I think that they, what Vince did, uh, and his look, his grandfather, his father, you know, he's third generation guy, right? I just think the contributions he made and opening the eyes to the public and the media and wall street and all these things, uh, increased, uh, the opportunity for a lot of guys to make more money than they thought they'd ever make and, and me included, so uh, that would get my vote, but certainly there's a lot of great families, good Lord, just, you know, just so many that were influential in the ring, but none of those, those other teams, those other families I mentioned and that you mentioned they didn't have the impact on, it, on the business in total globally that, uh, the McMahons have created.
0: Christian Holmes says as 2020 comes to a close, what was Jr's favorite match from this past year, AEW or otherwise?
1: Oh boy. I loved, uh, I loved, uh, Dustin and Cody. That was this year, right? Not this year.
0: No, that was last year. Was it?
1: I still loved it. It's a carryover. Um, man, the, uh, tag with the young bucks and the FTR. I liked that a lot.
0: Yeah. How's it going?
1: I liked, uh, Brody Lee and Cody in that dog collar match. Very good. Yeah. So, uh, there's a couple of Moxley matches I thought were really good. I'm a big fan of John Moxley. So I I I would say that, but I think overall, just looking back in the, in total, I think the, the, the Rhodes brothers match might've been my favorite match thus far that we've done in AEW, no matter 19 or 20, right. You know, I just thought that was live crowd, you know, the dramatic use of blood, uh, the story behind it, it became very personal and very emotional. It wasn't a rational angle, so to speak. It had, it was based in reality, uh, the brothers and so forth. So I, I, you know, had same father, all that good stuff we've talked about, but they turned it on and that was one of the more emotional. It it got me. I'd love that match. And so, but this year the dog collar, uh, young bucks, FTR tag, I thought was outstanding and so, uh. And I'm sure there are others that I, that I haven't, uh, I didn't mention that I just slipped my mind. It's hard to keep up with everything. Conrad, when you do a show live every week, right. They and I'm running together.
0: And it's not like you've got plenty of time to think about these. I'm throwing them to you live and you're trying to bounce it right back. So
1: yeah, trying to, uh,
0: Lee Parker wants to know what's your favorite cut of
1: steak. Well, uh, probably a fillet just because it's healthier. Just for pure taste, a good ribeye. I let my steaks a charred medium. When I go to a nice steakhouse and order a steak, like Gibson's in Chicago or some other places that we can name, uh, charred medium is my choice for, uh, for preparation. And, uh, either the filet causes less fat or, or the ribeye because it's got more fat, uh, So I, I, either one, you can't make me mad with either one, quite frankly.
0: is not steak one of those only things where you can say, well, sometimes I like them with no fat and other times I like them with fat. Like you don't say that about a lot of other cuts of meat. That's unique to steak.
1: Yeah. Steak's the go-to good protein, somewhat healthy. And, uh, but the fillets are, are really good as I mentioned, but I do like a good ribeye, man.
0: Greg wants to know: Is there a college football stadium you've never been to that's on your bucket list?
1: Oh boy! Well, I've been to Notre Dame. I've been to the I've been to the old Cotton Bowl. I've been to Texas A&M on a home game. Or uh, I got to go to Nebraska for an OU Nebraska game. But back, maybe the last time they played. Uh, I'm trying to think of another stadium. I went to Ohio state with the Sooners. Uh, hmm. I wouldn't mind going to a whiteout game at Penn state. Pretty impressive. No, you, we're talking about having fans back. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, but Penn state would, been, would be interesting. Uh, I was at Neyland Nay- stadium for OU Tennessee. That was historic. I've been really lucky to a lot of these. I went to Rose bowl. Uh, most of the major stadiums I've been in, but I think going to that whiteout effect at Penn State always impressed me. Right. 100,000, you know, the ambiance was off the page. And I'm not a Penn State fan or an anti fan. It's just I love the atmosphere of that, of that game. Uh, I'm trying to think of where else that might be uh, on my list. Uh, the, the game day experience when fans were there, of course. At Texas A&M was pretty extraordinary because they have routines and things they go through. There's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I think that that I've been so lucky because you know, the 18 years that Bob Stoops was coached at OU, uh, I went to, I was on the team plane or on the bus. I went to all these games away games and I, I loved it. My favorite stadium, other than Oklahoma Stadium, is the old Cotton Bowl, where it's half and half. the The Red River Rivalry is cool as hell. Neutral site, half burnt orange, half crimson. It's good stuff. So, but I think maybe that Penn State option might be one. I wouldn't mind going to a football game at Yankee Stadium. For sure, that'd be fun. Yeah, and I was looking forward to this year going to uh, West Point until it got you know, canceled and when OU was supposed to play an army, that would have been a real great experience as well. So uh, there's a few, there's a few that I haven't, uh, haven't visited that I would like to visit, but I've been so blessed. I've been so great. I mean, it's a bucket list for a football fan, especially when you're standing on the sideline, you're, you're, you're amongst them, man. You're, they're surrounded, you're surrounded by fans and enthusiasm. And that's a just feature of adrenaline, feature of spirit, I think.
0: Ian writes, what do you think of the Goldust persona the first time
1: you saw it? Well, I was uh skeptical because we were getting we wanted to get as close to the edge without jumping off and committing suicide as we could. And there there was a lot of uh you know I had to look up what androgynous meant. Cause the way it was presented in the, in the beginning, it was almost, uh, uh anti, it was, it was like homophobic to some degree. And I was a little uncomfortable with that, but you know, it, it evolved. And the great thing about Dustin is he made that character his own. He, he lived it. He became that character on camera and did a great job, but I was a little leery in the beginning because I didn't wasn't quite, I didn't quite understand where we're going with this thing. And how's it going to end up? You know, we, uh, I think I told this to, to Terry Reynolds one time that, you know, in one booking meeting, we thought about because of this, the sexual overtones of that character, that package were, uh, really prominent. And so at one time they talked about having uh, her have a, a subtle pr- prosthesis penis, uh, to add to the. Because all these ideas kept piling in. The more perverse it seemed like, the more they were discussed. But Leary, in the beginning, uh, got careful afterwards because Dustin was so good at it. He became one of the more entertaining characters, in my view. Let's
0: do another question here. This one is coming to us from Dan Potts. Any good Terry Gordy stories? Jr. If he didn't have drug issues, do you think he would have had a big singles run in the WWF or WCW in the mid to late nineties?
1: Absolutely. You know, there's nothing he couldn't do in the ring. Terry was, was extraordinary and he, and they tell me, I didn't see him at this time. They tell me when he was 15 or 16 years old, he was a grown ass man and he was already well beyond his experience level. He was already kind of half-assed refined and had, just, he was a natural. But I think, yeah, he, he's another guy that, uh, events would put a manager with, even though Terry did a good promo, uh, you might want somebody with him just to keep the rudder in the water. Uh, but yeah, he was, uh, anything to do with wrestling or working Terry Gordy would have been a success because he just was that he was that, that lovely, attractive, athletic, big man, uh, that, that the promoters coveted. Big athletes turn heads in airports. Uh, his personality was bigger than life. And I, you know, I think uh, that Buddy Roberts and Michael Hayes had a lot to do with that as well. Because, make no mistake about it, not denigrating Michael or Buddy, because they both were key cogs in that Freebird uh, faction, that, that three man team. Uh, Gordy was the star of the show. And without a doubt, I thought that Gordy and Doc were about as good a tag team as I seen. And I remember calling a match with I may call more than one, with Gordy and Doc versus the Steiners that I just loved. So they were to me, that's what tag team wrestling was really about in those years. You know, they just they had chemistry, they fit, it made sense. And uh those two teams specifically uh were extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. So there's nothing Terry Gordy couldn't have done, Conrad any promoter would have been great to, uh, uh, you know, would have been great to, you know, to, to feature. He just was that good. You know, he was as good a he was a good, a super heavyweight or 300 pound guy as I ever saw. So he, yeah, he was extraordinary. Nothing he couldn't do.
0: Francis Reyes says, what's the nicest Christmas present you've ever given out to the boys in the back or events?
1: Oh God, I don't know that I ever give you the boys in the back presents. Uh, to be honest did, with you.
0: Did you ever get or give an interesting gift to Vince?
1: Well, what do you get him? So, yeah. I mean, so that's the, you know, what, yeah, you, you talk about somebody that's hard to buy for. I remember one time Bruce and I went out and got, for his, I think it was, might have been for his birthday. Bruce and I went to this department store there in Connecticut and bought him two ties. And the tie, the two ties had giant pencils on them. That's fun. Pencil, you know, the, the uh, booker thing. And so we, we, uh, had that and, but I don't recall him ever wearing those ties. <laughs> 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 I don't blame him. They were hideous, uh, kind of a gag gift or anything else. Yeah. What do you get? The guy that's got everything, right? And really seriously, he, it's, it's impossible. So we got him a gag gift and that's the only thing that's the only time I can remember being in a, the gifting mode with him, you know, uh, so I think that's it. I don't, I don't recall any, anything else. Conrad Brad on gift gift wise.
0: Brad writes, do you think wrestling will ever use credits like TV shows at the beginning or at the end? I always wondered that after watching WCW shows in the eighties and nineties with the end
1: credits. <sighs> I don't know why it's not done, yeah, except maybe to conserve time and not take a minute or thirty seconds or whatever uh to run the credits. Maybe they perceive the credits are a tune out uh I don't know, but it's hard to, hard to answer that. I could see it being a part of a, of the presentation to be more like other traditional uh television programs but you know, a pro wrestling broadcast is not really traditional. So, uh, I remember when Watts, he had a, he had a consultant or somebody, some dude that was helping him, uh, to mass market the UWF when we were going to go national. And, uh, it was, the, I remember it said, uh, bill Watts presents. And, uh, on, at the top of the show, bill Watts presents. You know, UWF wrestling. That's closest We ever got to it with cowboy. I don't think Vince ever did it. I don't think they even did a Conrad with the Saturday night Main event. As I recall, I don't recall that. Do you not really? So it's not, it's just not something that has been a part of the traditional pro wrestling presentation, unless something changes, it probably won't be. Uh, but it's a good question. It, it is a good question. I but I think you said, well, why don't they do it? They just don't want to, you know, it's promoters want the credit and, uh, and that's it pretty much.
0: You know what? They and, did do it once on, um, what was that called? The slammy awards, because if you remember, it said something like executive producer, K Fabe, so <laughs> I remember that on the slammy awards and obviously all the, the old WCW pay-per-views, but as far as Vince's stuff. I don't remember a bunch of that. Yeah, I don't either. Uh Derek Hankins writes, got any good stories of bear matches from back in the territory days?
1: Well, one, you know, uh they had a had a battle royal with a bear and Watts was in it, and Danny Hodge was in it. So somehow or another it came down to Watts and Hodge against the bear. And watch it kind of locked up with the bear. The bear is up on his hind feet. So they're like a elbow type position and Hodge goes behind the bear, reaches under his tail and grabs a handful of short hairs and ripped them out of the bear's ass at which time the bear, uh, screamed, howled. Cause it, I'm sure it hurt. <laughs> Have the hair ripped out of your, your short hair ripped out of your ass, and so the bear then had this, adri- this big burst of strength and tossed Cowboy out of the ring, and then the bear soon followed because he didn't want any more of Hodge's short hair pulling, and Hodge wanted to Battle Royal. That's, <laughs> that's Danny, Danny just having fun. <clears throat> that's like uh, you talked about a Hodge story. We're, work, we're working in Shreveport one, one Monday night in the municipal auditorium, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Monday night and, uh, watches uh, the booker and the owner, he booked himself, he's in the main event, Hodges in the semi-main, the last match for intermission or at the, the, how they worked at that time. Sometimes they do an, an intermission and they come back with the main event. And that's kind of what we did that night. So, uh, I remember going into the intermission. Cause I was refereeing that uh, cowboy chewed Hodges ass out for either going too long or giving the guy too much, something philosophical and he, he pretty hard on Danny, but cowboy knew when to back off that deal too. And so Hodge goes into the shower was well, old showers, had these stickets, you know, the hot water twist here for hot twist over here for cold. So Hodge goes in and gets all the, he goes in the shower and he grabs the, all the hot water spigots to regulate the heat. And he twisted all the spigots off, stripped them from their, from their, uh, you know, they broke them. So cowboy goes back into that, that baby face locker room after the show's over. All the spigots for the hot water are laying on the floor. So he couldn't take a hot shower only cold water. So I got my little referee bag. And, Moved across to the hillside. And I took a nice hot shower. But that's Hodge. That was just Hodge doing, you know, he just, he, he, I'm not going to be, you're not going to talk down to me without any repercussions. So instead of twisting, watch his head off, he twisted the shower faucets off. And of course, he watched, he made him pay for him, you know, the same old shit. But anyway, uh, you know, I don't know what we're talking about there, but nonetheless, Those are just crazy ass stories. The bear story with Hodges. I think that 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 night that that happened, I'm pretty sure it was in Fort Smith at the Jimmy lot sports arena and you'll Jimmy lot Conrad. You'll could appreciate him. He was a football player from Alabama, right? And became a uh, wrestler. And then he became a promoter and he converted an old Pontiac dealership, the showroom, all that to a little wrestling arena. And that's the same building. I got paid, uh, one night, a hot dog, and I wanted a Coke and I had to pay for the Coke. That was my payoff. So, you know, the guy couldn't give me a goddamn uh, Coke, <laughs> a beverage. So, uh, you just funny how you remember stuff like that off the top of your head or just when you're posting your head, cause they're, they're, they're not big deals. They just were, I guess a little significant. You kind of remember these things. So, uh. But the bear stories, that's a, that's a dandy, the the bear guy, the bear man. I can't remember what his name was. He, uh, was not happy. because his bear was traumatized <laughs> by Danny Hodge. Here's one that, uh,
0: you and I haven't ever talked about before. Silo, Sam Chad wants to know, did you ever meet silo
1: Sam? I did not. I've heard the name. He's a big guy, right? Yeah. Seven, seven. I don't think I ever met Silo Sam. I did meet Yosemite Sam one time on a peyote trip.
0: I love you for that. (laughs) Nick Jackson wants to know have you ever spoken to Warrior's wife at a Hall of Fame?
1: Did Uh, you ever meet her? Yeah. We have a time or two. Um not enough to say we're friends or, or enemies or nothing like that. Just not no relationship there really at all. I always thought she should be sainted because she was married to the crazy bastard. Uh, and, uh, she, and she endured it and they had two beautiful daughters. So, uh, no, I, I but I'm, I, yeah, I've talked, I've spoken to her and had short conversations, just casual and friendly. That's all. Uh, you know, I had and boy, she's kind of like fell, fallen off the grid too. Right.
0: Uh, I, I don't know what she's doing with the company right now, but I, I think she's still there. Really? Yeah. I mean, I might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I hope she is. I, uh, I'll tell you later. Chris sends a tweet out. that says how different would the WWE landscape had looked if Brett never gets screwed in Montreal?
1: I don't, you know, I've had that question asked of me before Conrad. And I don't know what the, the, the answer is. Bret Hart staying on a positive, on positive footing in WWE would do nothing but help WWE. He would, he would have been great to help, uh, mentor and coach up young talents. So if, if he had not been not left acrimoniously and all those things, uh, it would have been a very a big positive because Bret Hart was so influential, uh, to the careers of many talents. Even today, he's a role model and how he, how he does his job and how he performs in the ring is very admirable for a lot of people. So he's, uh, it would have been nothing but good results. If if, the things had been different, no doubt. So, because he was that, he is that kind of quality human being. And if you're a wrestler today and you haven't gone back and you're, you're, you're too much focused on how many flips you're going to do or something along those lines, uh, he would be, uh. An amazing role model and a guy to watch as many tapes as you could of his, because you can every talent, no matter their skill set or their age, whatever, can learn something by watching Bret Hart wrestle.
0: Uh, Chris has another one here. He says, "If Jim was a pro wrestler instead of an announcer, what would his name and his finisher be?"
1: Oh God! Well, now we're really getting out there. Hey, Chris, you should put down the ball. Just for a little while, and uh, or the water pipe or whatever the hell it may be, uh, you know I never thought of that for no more than thirty seconds, because I just knew that it wasn't my thing. I thought I thought I knew where my skill set was lied and what it, how it could be evolved and developed into a living, and it wasn't wrestling. So I don't know, you know. Ernie Ladd gave me the nickname the Junk Food Dog, so maybe that'd be it. Hell, I don't know. But it was never a serious, ever, ever a serious consideration for me whatsoever. There's this little thing called athleticism and a body. <laughs> and when your body looks like you just had a litter of pups, uh, you may not want to expose it. So, uh, in any event, never an option, never an option.
0: Uh, Josh Gomez says, was your, I'm a happily married man line. During the attitude era, a subtle Carol Burnett style way to send your love to Jan on live TV.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, same thing when I, somebody would say something in the attitude era that was a little off color, I'd say something or I, or I would say something off color then apologize and say, I know my mama's watching and she was right. So that was a little shout out to her. So, uh, yeah, both mom and Jan got special treatment. Especially Jan, with that uh, I'm happily married man, because you're not know, working with Lawler. Right. And there's puppies out there and all kinds of things. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was just uh, that was just a shout out. It's very observant though for some of the, the the fellow to ask that question.
0: Ari wants to know if Mid South wasn't in a recession and Bill Watts didn't have to sell the UWF, what would have happened to the UWF? Could Bill stick to his area and survive against Crockett and Vince?
1: I think what, you know, at one time our, uh, our thought was to utilize. This sounds crazy, but this young airline called Southwest airlines was really taken off and they had, uh, towns, uh, you know, uh, airports uh, that where they flew into in various cities in a, in a enlarged region. And so you don't want to be called regional because that's, you don't make any money being a regional, you got to be national you got to have enough TV stations to, to sell time nationally and so forth. Uh, but the Southwest airlines, uh, flight schedule, the flight map was where we were going to start to be honest with you and then try to expand it from there, uh, we had a good success in local syndication. Our, sh- our TV shows got great ratings in most markets. So, uh, we thought we had a chance to build a foundation there, but to, to build that foundation, we had to continue to fund it through our, our established towns in mid-south and when the, uh, the, the recession crushed the energy business, oil and gas, uh, it really crippled us because people didn't have any disposable income to take the family to the load them up in the car and take them to the arena and watch wrestling. At, ironically, at the same time, our TV ratings were very good. They didn't have the money to go to the shows, but they had the, the time and the, and the motivation to watch our product on television. It was a real frustrating situation, quite frankly, in that regard. And that was before the days of rights fees and things of that nature. So, uh, but, but that was the idea. Use that Southwest airline flight schedule to open up some new towns, uh, with TV, local TV. And then get the TV established and then start running those towns. And at the same time, uh, a lot of those towns were, uh, world-class towns and world-class had its ups and downs like we all have. And so we thought that that was a, that was vulnerable and cowboy had, had a, who at one time was partners, you know, bill bought his half of, of Leroy McGurk's territory with Fritz Von Eric and Vern Gagne, And so he ended up finally getting out of those deals and buying his way out or whatever he did. And, uh, but there was no allegiance. It was all every, every team, every territory for itself and nothing but the bottom line being considered.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of grill and Jr. We hope you guys enjoyed our last episode this year. We'll be back next year, each and every Thursday with another episode of grill and Jr. I hope you had a chance to tune in to the Brody Lee tribute last night on Dynamite. Don't forget, you can catch Dynamite every single Wednesday. Our old pal Tony Schiavone joins the voice of wrestling, Jim Ross, here on commentary every week. Of course, alongside Excalibur. And who could forget, it's grilling season, baby. Football season is in full effect. The playoff games, the bowl games, the national title games, and of course, on the NFL, we're home stretch to the playoffs. What does that mean? It's grilling season, baby. It's always grilling season over at jrsbbq.com, Right, Jim?
1: Damn right. It is good. Healthy eating folks, everything from steak and chicken and fish and vegetables, all in that grill. And just, uh, get you to get your, your toys together, your little grill set things of that nature and enjoy, uh, to me, I find it very therapeutic. And unfortunately, you know, here in Florida where I, I bought this condo is, uh, they have a, one of the rules is you can't have a grill. So I've taken every shortcut I got a pan that makes grill marks. I've got a George Foreman grill. I just can't have a, a grill and they have a community grill, which is I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to partake in, uh, downstairs outside. So, uh, I've kind of made some adjustments. I have been in Oklahoma since October, but I can tell you one of the first things I do when I go back home is fire up my grill. Right. It's just, it's a fun thing for me. You know, it's just sometimes some of the most fun th- times I've had are my buddies coming over, me cooking, sitting outside, having a beer, telling stories, watching a ball game, whatever it may be. So Jrbbq.com has had an amazing 2020. It's really strange. You know, when, when under the black hat came out, about, right about the time the book was released where COVID stuff started hitting. Yeah. And stores like you know Barnes and Noble and things like that—they're closed. So we had to rely on you know digital media and online ordering, and at the same time, uh, build that that same concept uh, to what we're doing on our website. And so we've had a really phenomenal year. The volume of business has been extraordinary. Stephen Link's done a great job there, uh, taking care of that uh, business, especially in my absence. And we're you know, but we made it work. We. We use FedEx, we ship books to Florida and I signed them and things like that. Uh, we made it work we had to, there are things we couldn't do marketing wise because of the COVID issues. But, uh, we're open for business at jrsbbq.com. And, and like Conrad said, it's for many of us, it's always grilling season. Yep. You know, we, we, we found a lot of lovers of our seasoning, uh, mustard, ketchup, things other than this, the barbecue sauce which our original, JR's original, uh, is my, uh, our top seller. So it's been a real good experience. It shows you what hard work and customer service will do for you. So we, I'm very grateful. I really am very, very grateful to all the folks, many of them that are listening here today and listen to us on a regular basis, uh, for their support. You didn't have to do it. You didn't really, you didn't have to do it, but you wanted to do it. And then you discover pleasantly that. Hey, this stuff, this stuff's not just a gimmick deal. It's, this it tastes real good, pretty good stuff. So it's been, a, it's been a good holiday season. We've been very blessed with that. And again, I can't thank the folks that are listening here today enough for their support and hope they'll like our products and we'll become your sauce. That's the idea, repeat business. And we're going to earn that repeat business, by continuing to make good stuff and, and serving our customer base, uh, as pleasantly and as professionally as we possibly can. So. Big thank you to everybody. We appreciate it very much. So, and of course, Conrad, our, our podcast is it's, it's been a, we've had an amazing year the podcast has grown like crazy. It has. It's yeah. been a
0: great year and we're excited that, you know, we got our contract to renew our show through 2021. So we're looking forward to another big year next year. And hopefully that that you guys, big raise. yes, we did get a little <laughs> bit of a raise. You'll be glad to hear that.
1: Yeah. Well, we, uh, we're, we're very blessed. Both of us are very blessed. Oh yeah. Two Southern boys like fried food. We're making it work, and it's just hard work and being true to your game.
0: We're uh, we're having a lot of fun talking all things wrestling with you. We're mapping out the entire year. We've pretty much got the framework in place, but uh, we'll go ahead and and share all of our plans uh, early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Of course, normally you get video along with your audio uh, because of the holiday season and some scheduling issues. We did not, we were not able to capture the video today, but we will be back next week and we've got a really big January, February, March. I can't believe that we're almost back. You know, we're like a year deep in COVID WrestleMania will be here before you know it, and, uh, we've got lots of fun stuff to talk about, including we're finally going to cover WrestleMania 17 this year here on the show, which is probably one of the biggest WrestleManias ever, right? Jim.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite for sure, the venue, the Astrodome. Magnificent grew up watching games in there. Love you. Blue coach, uh, uh, bum Phillips, the great Earl Campbell. Uh, just really, that stadium was special. And, uh, and that, that card was fed. That was the night that, you know, Austin and McMahon got together and, and, and turned on the rock and all that good stuff. But the show was just really, it was extraordinary. So uh, you can almost make a show off the matches on it. You know, we could probably do a whole show on the damn TLC match, uh, that type thing It's that good. So if you haven't watched WrestleMania 17 in a long time or ever, uh,
0: you might want to check it out. And if you haven't already check out Jr's don't forget to hit that DVR and make sure that you're recording dynamite every single week or do what I do and watch it live. Uh, either way, uh, I'm so excited that we're ending 2020 with you guys on the air, and I'm excited for a big 2021, not only for AEW, but for our podcast here and for adfreeshows.com. It's going to be an interesting year, folks. We're hoping things get back to normal, whatever that looks like, but we're so glad that you're going to be doing it alongside us. Uh, throw us a follow if you haven't already. If you've got a question for Jim, it's easy to participate in the show. You just follow us at jr Grilling on Twitter. He is at hate. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. <laughs> he is at JR's BBQ. And of course, we'll be back next week with another episode of Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross.
1: And have you on the Mr. and have a very safe and happy New Year's Eve. Remember, my daddy told you it's amateur night. Don't drink and drive. Just have fun as best you can in a safe way. Uh, and don't let COVID, uh, you know, kill your spirit. I'm not saying go out and have a mass party. I'm just saying COVID cannot, we can't allow it to kill our spirit. And even though we may not be around all of our buddies, uh, for, for New Year's Eve, because of COVID don't let it damper your spirits. So have a great, uh, New Year's Eve, have a happy new year. And, uh, we appreciate your business sincerely. Thank you. Happy new year,
0: everybody. We'll see you next week. John brings his skewed sense of humor
1: Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round Together, it's those weekend golf guys They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titus and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10 What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale <laughs> Those weekend golf guys, the podcast Part of the Believe Network Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen